pretty cool story of uh, how God works. And I, and I don't know if uh, Heather's friend, uh, Sarah, that she talks about there, or Jeff and Penny. Jeff and Penny do a lot of counseling down in, in Fremont for our Fremont campus. And I don't know if either of them knew that they were working with Heather uh, and talking with Heather. But one of the cool things about her story is not only did these three people help her kind of work through the suffering that she was experiencing, but even more so and more importantly, they were able to help her understand that she needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and help her walk through and take that step of faith. And she placed her faith in Christ. And really, besides that awesome thing, the, the part of it that I want to pull out really for us this morning is to look at how three people, three Christians, people from the same church family, teamed up, joined in with somebody who was suffering, and then God did a work in their lives. And so, like I said before, as I was praying, today we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of a discussion that uh, three of Job's friends have with Job. And we want to pull from that some of the things that we can learn as to what we should do and certainly some of the things that we shouldn't do. Okay, So go ahead and turn to Job chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11, uh, and we're going to cover literally 31 chapters. So um, we were going to go ahead and cover it all during the 9 o'clock hour, just have you guys join us, but I decided not to do that. But we'll be here until probably about 3 or 4. Um, so, uh, no, we're not going to cover. We're going to blitz through this. I'm going to give you guys some summaries. But we're going to answer the question this morning, how to help others in their suffering. Last week we talked about how do we go through suffering, what are some of the things we should do as we go through suffering. We learned that from Job uh, chapter 1 and 2, and how he worshipped through that and what that looked like, some specific things that he did. Well, today we want to ask the question, how do we help others through that? And so I want to uh, start out in verse 11, and it says this, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, that had come upon him, they came each one from his own, from his own place. So they, they lived you know, kind of far away from Job. They weren't neighbors of his. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. Now, let me just stop for a second. <clears throat> if roles were reversed and they were hearing the names of our towns, they would also be thinking, that sounds weird. Harold from Oregon, you know. Just, just so you know, we were laughing, but they would laugh at us too. Anyways, um, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When he lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads towards the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. Pretty good friends, wouldn't you think? They hear something's going on in Job's life. They uh, make a Zoom call. Hey, what are you guys doing next week? Nothing. Let's go down and let's spend some time with Job. Let's, let's team up. Let's join together and meet Job where he's at. So it says here they, went, they came in order to sympathize with him. That word there, I think we're all kind of familiar with it, right? It means to console, come alongside of somebody to, to help them. It means The other one is comfort. I love this one. It means to, to breathe or sigh heavily. 
So what, are these, what were these guys doing? They, were, they, they wanted to join with him in his suffering. They responded emotionally just like Job did. Remember from last week, he tore his clothes. And again, this is what people in the, in the Near East, that's how they express themselves. They're very expressive. And he tore his clothes, right? And he cried out to God and he fell down in worship. And these guys, they're joining him. They're, so they get, they're crying out to God. They're tearing their clothes. They're throwing the, the dust from, we know now that he was actually sitting in a, in a dump. And so they're throwing dust. They're, they're just so um, overwrought with, with pain for Job. They just, they just want to sit there and <sighs> sigh with him. They just want to sit there and connect with him. And they sit there, it says, for, for seven days and seven nights. Nobody spoke a word. Job sitting there scratching the blisters. You ever have uh, a time where something hurt so bad that it itched and it hurt at the same time? I remember when I was a kid, we used to jump ramps with our bikes. And so we were on the paved street and we put the ramp where the gravel road came across the paved road. I'm not sure why we did that, but I remember I jumped and I was really going to hit it. You know, so I, And I pulled up on the bike the bike went off from underneath me, and I landed on my back and slid across the gravel. And uh, I, I ran home. It was like two blocks from my house. I didn't even care about the bike anymore. I just ran, and it was that pain, but it itched, and it was just, yeah, it was pretty bad. But anyways, um, maybe you've had one of those experiences. But they, they sit there with him, and they're watching him moaning and groaning and scraping and oozing. And not one of them says a word. It says that they, he couldn't sleep at night, so I'm sure they're not sleeping at night. And they, So they've gone a week without sleeping on top of it. And so finally Job has enough. He says, okay, I wish. He just has to let it out, right? He just gotta, they've been looking at him for seven days and seven nights, and he's been sitting there moaning and groaning. And I'm sure, you know, we talked about this last week, he's just wrestling with what's going on and why God's allowing this and all this stuff's going on, losing his family, losing his business losing his health, everything is coming down on him. He finally just says, man, I wish I was never born. In fact, it says this, moving forward. Keep going. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish in which I was born, and the night which said a boy is conceived. Let me just stop here for a second. Um, this is Jewish poetry, okay? So some of you guys who are struggling as you're reading through Job, like, man, this is very wordy. Well, this is actually from this point forward till towards the end. This is all Jewish poetry. And, and a lot of people don't even understand Jewish poetry because it's, it's so old, people are kind of not even sure how to interpret it and stuff. But the basic thing here is, with any poetry is they are going to use a bunch of different words in order to bring out the emotion of the situation. Okay, And so Job is going to voice for ten verses here about what he means about, basically, I wish I was never born. So may that day be darkness. Let not God uh, above care for it, nor light shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice in the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. 
Let those cursed who curse today, who, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan, that's a, a sea creature of some kind. We don't know really what he's talking about there. It could be a whale, it could be a crocodile, uh, it could be even some sort of a dinosaur that we don't have around anymore. But let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. And let it not see the breaking dawn, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. And you just get the sense, he's just saying, oh, I'm just done. Why do I even exist? Why did God allow me to be born? And maybe some of us have experienced that. Asking that question of God when we've gone through suffering. He, he goes on later in that chapter to even say, my, my easy life is gone. I had things so good. But now my life is in turmoil. So, motivated by a desire to help Job deal with this, Eliphaz and his friends are going to speak some truth into, or attempt to bring some truth into Job's life, to, to ease the suffering, to, to do something and help Job understand, hey, listen, this is what's wrong, let's get it fixed, and let's get rid of the suffering in your life. But the problem is, they have a wrong understanding of who God is, and they have a wrong understanding of how God operates. And this is one of the reasons why we have the book of Job, so we can understand better who God is and why he operates. And what they do is they bring in what we call today retribution theology. We talked about this uh, the previous weeks, but I just want to do it as kind of a reminder of what that is. So this is an incorrect theology, an incorrect understanding of who God is and how he operates. And it says this, right living equals blessing, wrong living equals suffering. It has the idea that if someone is suffering, it's always because of sin, always because of something they've done wrong. Now we talked about this, we, we said, you know, Nine-tenths of life, we kind of get that, right? You do life God's way, then life seems to go in a, a good way. God blesses, you know, and things seem to fall into place pretty much. And Not that life's perfect ever, but... And then if we do life wrong, we don't do life God's way, then certainly the consequences, we, we sense that, and that's not always good. Or sometimes God wants to discipline us over and above that, and so we, we get that. But, but it's not always the case. It's not always the case. And we learn from Job. We, we see in Jesus' life. We see in the apostles' life. We, we see in other Christians through uh, Christian history, church history, that it's not always the case. I mean, the apostles, right? I mean, wow, if anybody's doing life God's way, Paul was doing it, and yet Paul was constantly being beat and put into prison for it. So it's a general biblical truth, but it's not always true. And it's not a hard and fast rule. It's not some sort of spiritual recipe that we can just kind of mix up in a bowl and it obligates God to either bless us or curse us. And here's the deal. Our theology, what we believe about who God is and how He operates, directly impacts how we respond to life and how we think about life and what we do with life. And so our theology is incredibly important to make sure we understand who God is and how He operates accurately. Because what happened was, these three friends with this wrong theology, this wrong understanding of who God is and how He operates, they start speaking into Job's life. And, it, and we'll see over time, it's, it's, if you've been reading, and hope you have been, you've noticed that the, the uh, it's again, poetry, so it's really wordy, but it, go, it gets shorter and more intense. They're not bringing any uh, relief to Job's life. 
In fact, they're, they're bringing more suffering because they're bringing in wrong understanding of who God is. And so if you kind of view this kind of as a verbal boxing match, you know, we have three rounds. And there's going to be guys tagging. You know, I'm tagging out, tagging in. And they're going to come at Job. Uh, and it's really kind of sad. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize what they said, summarize what Job says, and anyways, you're reading through it, that might help you, you know, understand basically what's going on, okay? I thought that might be the best thing to do today. So, um, not going to get into depth on this stuff. So Eliphaz, he's the first one who jumps in, all right? And so he says, hey, listen, what I've seen in lives of others, in other words, my personal experience is I viewed life and my wisdom and, you know, understanding, and God has confirmed in a vision that those who plant evil will harvest the same. So he's not only saying, hey, listen, I, I got this figured out because I see it in life, my own personal experience, but God gave me a vision. Now, let me just say this about dreams, visions. And I don't know if you guys have people who talk to you and say, hey, you know, I had a dream, and so this is what God's telling me to do. I get that quite a bit. I just want to throw up a major warning flag, Okay. So today, in this day and age, when we place our faith in Christ, God's Holy Spirit lives in us. God Himself in our lives. And then He's given us the Bible. And so the idea there is we're supposed to study and read Scripture, have a conversation with God about what we're reading, and then help Him, ask Him to give us wisdom and discernment, so how do we apply this to our lives? And that's the interaction that we have when we understand what God's will is. People who say, hey, you know, I've got a vision... From God, Eliphaz said, "Hey, I got, I have a vision from God," and he and he threw it at Job, but it was wrong. It wasn't a vision from God. It was just the fact that they hadn't slept well in seven days, and he was overly tired and probably ate something that he shouldn't have eaten, and his stomach kind of is laying there, and there's something, but it's not accurate. Listen, say what you want to say about dreams and visions, but God's given us His Word, and He's given us His Holy Spirit, and we need to be knowing for sure what he said, and not dropping dreams on people. Okay, So Eliphaz, his fix is, retribution theology, go to God, make things right, and everything you had will be restored to you. And the sad thing is, there are churches, sadly, that teach this. Right? So you've got to be careful. Job's response is, listen, it's the pain speaking. You know, I'm just speaking out of my pain. I'm just venting, just getting it out there. I want help, but you're accusing me of sin. Sin I haven't committed. And then he turns his attention to God. And you'll see this throughout the time. He, he speaks to the guys, and then he turns to God. He speaks to the guys, and then turns to God. Why do you even pay attention to people? Reveal the sin that I've committed. So, Bildad jumps in. God doesn't change how he operates. I mean, look back to our ancestors. So now, he's not saying, don't, don't just look at you know, what Eliphaz is saying, his personal experience. Are all of our ancestors, all the way back to Adam and Eve, this is how God's operated. Obviously, God blesses those with integrity and curses those who have done wrong, including your children, which is why they died. I don't know about you, but who needs you know, friends like this? You know, <laughs> yikes. He's, he's basically saying, not only were you a sinner, but your kids were sinners, and that's why they died. I'm not really catching the Comfort going on here. His fix is pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty. Job's response is, yes, I get it. No one's perfect. God generally blesses righteous, the righteous, judges the wicked, which is biblical, generally speaking. 
but I'm not living in sin. I wish that there was someone who could mediate between me and God. And I would ask, what's in it for you to oppress me, the one you've created? Why do you allow me to be born? Why are you doing this? The Zophar jumps in. You know, you can just kind of imagine hopping over the ring, right? Tag comes in. You failing to admit your, admit your sin shows your arrogance, and you should appreciate God's mercy. He should be causing you to suffer even more because you're so arrogant. And his fix is, get rid of your sin, and God will bless you again. Job's response is, you guys think you're so wise, but you're no wiser than me. It's easy for you to talk, you're not going through what I'm going through. And God has the answer, I will take my life in my hands to find out what sin I've done to deserve this suffering. All this, by the way, plays into what we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks when God actually comes in and finally responds to all this. Round two, Eliphaz, you're not as wise as us, we're older than your father. Who do you think you are, punk kid? I'm, a, I'm an old person. I've gone through life. I've seen things. I know. You're a windbag who is talking out of his head. The wicked suffer, and you are obviously wicked because of your suffering. You, it's obvious. Can't you see it? Job's response, they, they even quit giving their fixes now. Job's response, speaking of windbags, you guys are miserable comforters with how you're criticizing me. So Job turns his attention to God and asks for someone to mediate so that God would declare his innocence. He's like, man, I wish there was somebody who would stand between me and God and help me out here. And he moves on. Still dead. If you'd stop this nonsense, we could give you an answer. <laughs> if you keep it up, when you die, people are going to point where you live, point it out to people and say, that's, that's where an evil, wicked person lives. That, see, the reason why that guy's no longer there is because he wasn't doing life God's way. He had sin. He rejected God. Job's response, how long will you guys keep insulting me? You act like you're better than me. You should fear God's persecution for how you're treating me. It's God who has wronged me. He's not helping me. and Everyone else has rejected me. He actually gives a list of all the people who's rejected him. But I know one day my Redeemer, key word, will stand up for me when I stand before God. He's saying, man, I wish there was somebody who would stand between me and God to represent me before God. And then he brings out the Redeemer. Now, we as Christians know who he's talking about. But it's cool to understand. So this is you know, thousands of years before Jesus ever came on this earth. And he, he knows that there's going to be a Redeemer, someone who's going to stand before God on his behalf. And he's looking forward to that day because he knows it's going to happen. So he's, he's, he's excited about the fact that that's going to happen one of these days. And so like I said, we know that's Jesus Christ. That he came, he took our eternal suffering on himself so we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. That he died in our place. And, and as we give our lives to Christ, if we say, God, forgive me my sins and I'm placing my faith in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation, that simple prayer, that simple crying out to God God says, I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to place God the Holy Spirit into your life who's going to dwell, indwell in you and, and help you understand Scripture. And then when you die, He's going to take you to heaven one day. Now, I don't know if Job knew all of that. He, he could have. We're not told he did, but we know it. And as Christians, it's kind of funny because we even sang it in the first song. I know my Redeemer lives, right? And it's kind of, hey, hey. Job is not in this you know, happy place right now. He doesn't have happy feet. He's really struggling. But where does his heart and mind go? His heart and mind goes to the fact that I know I'm dying here right now, but 
man, one of these days, my Redeemer is going to be the one who stands before God. Just awesome. It's really cool. Well, Zophar, he says, I can't take your insults any longer and must speak. <laughs> now, now he's upset with Job, who's supposedly insulting him. You know, kind of weird. The success of the wicked is short-lived. They are never satisfied and will experience God's anger. Job's like, listen up. And then you can go back to mocking me. Wicked people actually live long and successful lives. You know, if you really pay attention to what you're saying, I know a lot of wicked people who have lived long lives. My complaint is not with people, but with God. I realize I can't teach God anything, and He'll do what He wants with the poor and the wicked. Your explanations don't speak to my situation. Tag out. Eliphaz jumps back in. You think God is judging you because you're innocent? You think God can't see you? But He can, and there's no limit to your sins. And it actually lists out for Job. Hey, by the way, here's some of the things you might have done wrong. It's kind of funny. How do you have a list for Job? It's kind of weird. And now he gives another fix. Submit to God, and He'll give you the peace and restore you. And then Job's like, I know God sees me. If only I could express my case to Him. That's His whole point. I've followed His ways. I've treasured His words. In other words, I've done life His way. Why doesn't... God judged the wicked, and why do the godly like me have to wait for help? Bildad jumps in. Notice it's only six verses. <laughs> he says, God is powerful and dreadful, keeps peace in heaven and earth. How can you think you're innocent before God? It's almost like you, you almost get the sense that Bildad was going to say more, but Job just had enough. Because this is the last straw. Job is done dealing with these guys. And he gets really sarcastic with him. He says, you guys are really wise and helpful. Of course God is awesome. Look at all he's done. But I won't lie. I won't say you're right. I won't stop defending my integrity. Have you ever been in a situation like that where people are saying you've done something wrong and you know you haven't done something wrong? I've done that. I've had that experience. I, mean, I had it when I was a kid. I, my kids or my brothers were all fighting. I had four older brothers and they were all fighting in the living room. And I'm just sitting in the lazy bar watching it happen because I mean, it's... It's free entertainment, right? So these guys are wrestling. They would break like doors and stuff. It was pretty, pretty funny to watch. I'm the youngest. I, I didn't do anything wrong. So anyways, they, then my mom's like, if you guys don't stop it, I'm going to come in here and spank you. So this is going to be even better, you know? So then she said, I'm coming, which she's never done. But anyway, I'm coming. So she came into the dining room. My brothers ran upstairs. She grabbed me and spanked me. So it didn't just happen when I was a kid. It happened when I was older, too. So, uh, I mean, not my mom spanking me. What I'm saying is certain things have happened in my life not related to my mom where I was right and people were saying I was wrong. So anyways, you might have experienced that yourself. If I've ever done these sins, then let God punish me. But I haven't. If only someone would vouch for me before God. So you've got these three friends who come motivated to help. They've actually sacrificed time. Because again, they had to travel from where they lived and come to where Job's at. They, they had to give up time in their businesses. They had to leave their family for a period of time to help Job out. And, and we can learn some things from them that we should be doing in our lives. We can also learn, real quickly here, what we shouldn't do, Right? If you're trying to help somebody through suffering, number one, don't bring in wrong theology. 
Don't come in with what you think the Bible says about something without having already studied it up and then drop that on them because that doesn't help. All right? And certainly, don't sit there and continually accuse somebody of something that you think they've done that is maybe causing the situation. And they keep on saying, listen, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. It's, the point here is not to win a debate, right? The point here is to help somebody through suffering. So there's two big things that we can pull out of here that we as a church family need to, to do. Right? So the first one is a team up. So these three guys came together to help Job. They didn't do it individually. right? So as a, as a church family, we need to team up with each other to go help people who are suffering. Whether it's people in our church, uh, whether it's people in your lives that you know, family members, friends, neighbors, uh, co-workers, whatever it is. The body of Christ, church, the, the church family, needs to come together and go help others. 1 Corinthians 12.26, we're supposed to suffer with those who are suffering. We don't go alone. We don't go through suffering alone on our own. And I know a lot of Christians, we talked about this again last week, we, you know, we, we think that God wants us to be strong and to go through this ourselves. You know, he, he doesn't want us to put the old Superman cape on and go through this alone. It's not why we have a church family. So we don't go through suffering alone. And we don't let other people go through suffering alone. We team up and we help them. The church is the care for the church. So I'm going to throw up some stuff here that we do as a church family. Uh, first of all, how can you team up? Well, you can team up with our ministry teams. We've got a bunch of different ministries in our church, right? Not just tech and not just music, but we've got children's, we've got impact team, we've got women's ministry, men's ministry. Um, uh, properties. Okay, we've got a bunch of different ministry teams. The ministry teams are the, um, the front line for us. So those who head up those ministries, their responsibility is to know what's going on in the lives of their, of their team members. And I don't mean spying on them. I mean staying in contact with them, praying for them, knowing what the needs are. And if there's needs, then that ministry team is supposed to work together to meet those needs. And if it's too big of a need, then it kind of jumps back to our leadership team, and we help in that situation. But our ministry teams are designed to do that. And as we grow, you know, those, that, those things will help us be able to take care of people. All these things, actually, as we grow as a church, we're going to be able to still take care of people. And just so you guys know, you know, I know most of you guys think I'm awesome and, and I can do a whole lot of stuff, and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, no, right here. It feels good. But I can't do everything. Just to give you, you know, an FYI. I can't do everything. And I don't want to do everything. And God doesn't want me to do everything. So with those three things, that I, I want to help all of us do what we all need to be doing for everybody. Um, so we have our prayer team. Some of you guys are on that prayer list that I, I sent out an email a while back saying, hey, if you want to be part of the prayer team, because I felt like I was sending out so many emails to people who may not want to be on the prayer team. Uh, so I said, hey, if you want to be a part of a prayer team, let me know. So I got like, I don't know, 35, 40 people who have got back to me, and so now they're on this prayer team. And all it is, I send out a prayer request, and you guys who are on it, you pray for it. Uh, and I try to, if I can, send up updates. I send out updates. Again, I can't do everything, so sometimes I miss an update, and I apologize. 
Um, I can't know everything that goes on in our church, uh, so I, I try to do the best I can. So if you're saying, man, I'd love to be able to pray about things that are going on at the church, because it's just you, know, you at your house or driving along and you know, praying, keep your eyes open, but you, you know, you're praying. If you want to do that, there's a sign-up sheet at the information center. Just put your name down, put the, uh, your email down, and then I'll get you on that list and you'll be praying. Prayer and care ministry, uh, that is a, a ministry, and some of you guys know about this, that uh, members of our church, not just regular attenders, but members of our church who have committed to pray for the regular attenders and members of our church. Uh, what the responsibility is to, to pray weekly, uh, they are to um, touch base, like on a Sunday, to make sure they go up to the people that are on their list and say hi to them. How you doing? Good to see you. Check in with them. If they don't see them for a couple weeks, to shoot them a text, an email, make a phone call, say, hey, listen, I haven't seen you. Hope you're doing okay. Any need you have? Any, anything we can help you with? And so just a way for our church family to stay connected with our church family. So if you're part of our church family, or if you're thinking about, should I become part of a church family? Well, if you're thinking about it, there's one of the great benefits of being part of a church family. You know that I and somebody else, at least somebody else, will be praying for you every week. Because I, I pray for everybody in our church every week. So, um, you know, I pray like six hours. No, I'm just no, they're just sentence prayers. You know, they're just sentence prayers. There's nothing real, you know. Uh, some of you, I do actually pray for six hours. Um, just kidding. So that's one of the things that we can do for people who become part of our church family is to pray for them and, and take care of them. Now, if, if you're on our prayer and care team and you're like, your head's down, like, oh, just as a reminder, this is one of the most crucial ministries we have that people who are a part of our church family know that our church family is praying for them and caring for them. And if you don't see them, that you need to be making contact with them. And if you're here this morning, you're not on a prayer and care ministry, that means you're on a prayer list. And if you're thinking, you know, actually I haven't had anybody contacting me in any ways. First of all, check your email, your junk file in your email. Um, and, but then if you're like, yeah, no, let me know. Because this is one of my big things, man. If, if we're not doing this as a church family, then we're not a church family. All right? So I get a little bit worked up on this kind of stuff. Um, I expect a lot of our prayer and care ministry. Um, so anyways, if you're thinking you're a member of our church, and you're like, man, it may be kind of a neat ministry to be part of, let me know. Then we have the care ministry. Uh, Kathy Alter is the care ministry coordinator, who, by the way, and you may have seen some prayer requests if you're on a prayer team, that her family not her immediate family, but her dad and sister are having issues, health issues, cancer, that kind of thing, and they're down in Virginia. And so she's making regular trips. So she's got a lot going on, and she's actually heading up our care ministry. And so Diane Drown just told me, hey, listen, I want to be able to help her out. So now, boom, we have this assistant person who's going to help her out. But we need other people who'll be willing to help us with these ministries. A lot of times it's like running to the store and getting stuff that we need um, and that kind of thing and then delivering some of these things. But let me explain what they are. So we have our food pantry, and that is for anybody in the area, um, our church family or people in your lives who uh, need uh, some assistance food-wise. Uh, meals, those are for people who are part of our church family who are having some um, you know, medical issues, and we just want to give them some relief. Um, and so they would be a part of, you'd basically make a meal uh, for a family or a couple. Grace Baskets, which goes back to the food pantry, 
what this is, and we've been able to give out several of these over the last year or so. In fact, we, uh, Tim Allen just delivered one on Friday to a single dad who's currently living in a hotel and um, doesn't have a vehicle. He said he'd love to come here, but he doesn't have a vehicle. And so one of the other things that we're praying about as a church is, okay, Lord, you know, a 15-passenger van might do us really well because we've got a bunch of people that we know who would come, but because of where they're at in life, they can't get here. And so it's kind of hard to throw them in the back of my pickup truck. I mean, they might enjoy it, but I got a top around and it's really smelly in there. Um, but we, you know, so anyways, pray with us on that. We figure out some way of a 15 passenger van. But anyways, food uh, grace basket. What this is, it's a, it's a large laundry basket. has enough food in it for um, about a week for a family of four. It's kind of what we're figuring. has some other necessities in there. And the idea with this is, as you guys have people in your life who are struggling, neighbors, coworkers, family, whatever, they don't have to be associated with our church family. In fact, it would be great if they weren't associated with our church family. And you take that basket to them and say, hey, listen, I know you're struggling, and we just, as a church family, my church and me, we just want to be able to bless you guys and help you guys out. And so, you know, we want you guys to have that. And if you need anything, let us know. So what's happening is you're connecting with them on a, a personal level, meeting a physical need, but then the hope is at some point you can then tell them about what, you know, what has Jesus Christ done in your life. And now the greater spiritual need can be impacted or, or addressed. When the greater spiritual need is addressed, now that person who accepts Christ now has God the Holy Spirit in their life, has God's Word, they can understand, they have a church family around them. I mean, it just it helps move a person forward. So we have those, and... Um, Actually, we need to get some more baskets because we just gave out the last one. But we'll do that. Uh, I heard Walmart has baskets. Uh, crisis care basket. Something I can see us do. We haven't done one of these yet. And this is for people who have gone through tragedy. This is not for a family who maybe has lost a grandmother or a grandfather who is, you know, who's been having some health issues and that kind of stuff. This is for people who have tragedies. So this is a person or a family who's maybe lost their house um, to a fire or a child or a parent has been tragically killed in a car accident. And it's just kind of boom, interface, wow. Around here, the community does great job caring for people right away. I mean, on these Facebook pages, they've got GoFundMes going, they've got people helping people out. It's, it's really kind of cool to see. What I'm want, wanting to do is, when that goes away, because off, often it does, a month or two, and then pretty soon, poof. Everybody in the community is gone. And that family is still suffering. That you, who know these people, can take a, a, a crisis care package. Not that we call it to them, crisis care package, but we understand it. And it's just a little basket. It might have some, you know, some sweets in it, you know, some cookies or um, muffins or something. Nothing huge. But a bunch of gift cards in it to supermarket and to restaurant and that kind of stuff to help them so they don't have to worry about all that. And then information about our church and then my card. So the way you do this is you hand it to them and say, listen, you know, I know three or four months ago you guys had this tragedy and uh, we just want to let you know, we're still concerned about you guys. We still want to be there for you. Feel free to talk to us. Uh, but also, if you really want to work through some things, you know, my pastor is more than willing to, to meet with you. And so my card's in there. Um, I, I will gladly give up hours during the week to be able to meet with families who are going through tragedies. And then a care can, uh, care, uh, cancer care basket. And I just call them baskets. I don't know what else to call them. If someone comes up with a cooler name, feel free. But the cancer care basket um, is going to have things in it for, specifically for those who are going through cancer treatment. 
Uh, and so Mary Munz kind of brought this idea to us. I think this would be awesome if we could do this. And so we're going to need people who can help get stuff together. We're going to need people uh, who can deliver things if it's not somebody we know or you know personally, that kind of thing. But the idea there is that we team up together as a church. And then secondly, the second point, second lesson learned, is that we join people in their suffering. We don't walk up with a gift and then just start you know, throwing out biblical truth. We don't need to do that. We just need to sit with them. Eventually we can get to the biblical truth, and let's make sure it's true, okay? No visions, please. You know, let's make sure it's truth, but right then and there, we just need to sit with them. We just need to join them where they're at. We need to cry with them. We need to weep with them. We need to sigh with them. We need to just let them talk. Let them vent. These guys would have done a lot better job had they just let Job vent. Because I don't know, if you've been in that situation, I've been in that situation. We just, just let me vent. I, I've had conversations with Kim numerous times and she's learned over the, our 28 years of marriage that she just sits there now because she knows that eventually I'm going to get to the end and go, I know that most of what I said is not true. I know it's not accurate about who got it. I'm just telling you how I'm feeling. As Job says, that, I'm just telling you what I'm feeling. It's not sin. I'm just expressing how I'm feeling. We just need to let people do that and sit with them. and Say, I get it. I understand. And like I said, down the road, maybe we can share some biblical truth, but at that point, we just need to be sitting with them, helping them. And then, meet a physical need. Grab a church member and clean their house for them. Grab another church person and mow their lawn. Or take care of their car. or Meet some physical need. If you were in their shoes, what would you appreciate someone doing for you? Then do that thing. Because, man, when I've gone through difficult times, the last thing I want to do is the dishes, you know. And uh, so Kim does them. Um, actually, does them all the time. But anyway, that's besides the point. Now, just do some physical, meet a physical need for that person or those people, that family. Well, as the, the band comes back up, close us out, we always do takeaways, right? So these are real simple. Um, pretty basic, pretty straightforward, and hopefully pretty easy for all of us to do. First one is this. How can you team up with your Grace Point family? Maybe you're already uh, um, part of a ministry team, and that's great. Maybe you're not currently serving. Serve. Be a part of the church ministry teams somewhere. A great ministry uh, to jump into initially is the impact team. And we've gone to two services, so we're getting stretched you know, a little thin because we've had to cover two services. So impact team, greeting people, getting to know who people are, and then being a part of that team to whatever ministry you're part of, to helping people within that ministry. And then the other one is, who in your life is currently suffering? Neighbor, coworker, family member. Who's currently suffering in your life? And what physical need can you meet for that person? You might be thinking, you know, I don't really know that neighbor, but I, I know I've heard something. Well, man, just knock on the door and say, hey, just FYI, my name is so-and-so, and, you know, have a conversation, kind of feel things out and help them out. We are the ones who bring Christ into people's lives. That's our responsibility. We're the ones who have the incredible 
privilege of meeting physical needs like Jesus did in order to represent Christ and to share the spiritual truth that Jesus was sharing with people when he was here on the earth. So you consider that as we sing this last song.